Oh, yeah. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our tradition, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi C. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. Well, the school year is now officially behind us. I know for a lot of you, by uh, last week already, maybe even a week and a half ago, school is over. But we actually had our last day of school today. You know, the whole last week sometimes becomes difficult for children because they know they have a foot out the door. And it's the summer, and it's hot, and we want to go play, and we have trips. And and actually, this year I was in a good spot because I had really finished all my material. I wasn't, like, uh, pressured to finish anything. Everything was really in in a good spot. But we had a great last week, a great school year, really amazing on the way home. So I was supposed to drive two children home, but one is on some year-end trip, so after I dropped off the carpool, the best place to speak to a child is in a car. A friend of mine told me this once. While you're driving, they have nowhere to go. So either going to answer or at least to listen. And I asked him, I said, how was your year? Do you feel you gained? Did you grow? Can you, are, are, are you, I don't want to say smarter, that's not the wrong word, but, but do you feel that you've grown in your ability to study your knowledge? And he was very positive, very, very positive, and later in the house, he's showing me all the prizes and the books. I said, let me give you a hug. I tell him how proud I was of him. And that's probably something that we all should do, and certainly we should all do more. Whatever we do, we got to do it more. It's unbelievable. But, you know, you got you to put that cherry on top. For most children, it was a good year. Tell them you're proud. And if it wasn't a good year, if it was a hard year, they struggled, you're still proud of them because they still put in some effort. They did what they could. They accomplished what they could. Some had more issues. Some had less issues. We'll have a story. We'll talk about that later. I hope. It's a plan to get there. But we got to let them know. We got to let them know how proud we are, how far they've come, where they are. My wife was telling me this morning, she was talking to her uh, brother about uh, a nephew. And she says to me afterwards, she says, you know, my brother is missing he he hasn't praised his child enough. He praised his child recently, but it's it's something you gotta you gotta do for years. For years, you're praising your child, you're proud of your child, you're happy where the child is, and then the child has that uh, that wherewithal, that confidence that he is where he belongs, or she, for that matter. Okay. So once we're talking about children and end of school year and success, I saw this beautiful story. So the story takes place in the 50s. A mother goes to a great rabbi. The rabbi's name was the Chazan Ish. That's not really a name. That's the name of a book he wrote, but he's known as the Chazan Ish. 
And the mother says to this rabbi, in those days it was easy to get into big rabbis. There wasn't like uh, long lines and cameras and crowds and, and everybody. You wanted to get into big rabbi, it was no problem. So she goes to the rabbi and she says, I need two blessings for my children. So the rabbi says, okay, what do you want? So she says, first, I want my children to succeed. They should study. They should understand their studying. They should uh, be good at their studying. That's blessing number one. I said, okay, no problem. What's blessing number two? She says, I want my children to have a desire, a will, a, an excitement that they should learn, that they should study. So the rabbi tells her, the first blessing, I give you that blessing wholeheartedly, no problem. Your children should be smart, retain what they studied, understand, no problem. The second blessing I can't help you with. Why? Why? What's, what's such an easy blessing? Just say, my children should enjoy their study. It says, that's up to you. That blessing, I can't give. How are you going to give it to them? If you show them that that's most important in your life, that that's what you care about, that that's what you want, you want them to study, they will study. If you show them, I would like you to study, but, you know, at the same time, I want to make sure that you become a doctor, they're going to be, they're not going to know what to do because you haven't shown them what's most important to you. In other words, whatever a parent chooses to show his child that it is number one and nothing else gets in the way, that is what the child will want to do. For example, if in your home money is the conversation and everything revolves around money and everything revolves around how hard you have to work and you have to make a good living and you have to be wealthy and you have to whatever it is with money, that's what the child hears all day long, no problem. That will be the child's Biggest desire. You can't, you can't go ahead and say money's not everything. Uh, love is everything. Most important that you should love, but money's not so important. Except that when there's a money issue in the house, you start complaining, and if something is expensive, you start complaining. Then the child hears you say love is important, but you really mean money. Because whenever there's an issue, and it's about money, you complain. Or whenever you want to buy something, you say, oh, we got the money, we can afford it, our neighbor can't afford it. However direction that conversation takes, that will be most important. Happens to be that mother went home, and from that day on, it could be she was always that way, she showed her children that nothing was more important than their sitting, sitting and studying, in this case, happened to be Torah. And sometimes the family was poor, Sometimes it was less to eat. Sometimes it was more to eat. And the children would never hear a peep of complaint about the financial situation. But if a child were ever to come home and say to the mother, or if the mother would see that the child was having difficulty in his study, the children saw the mother had no peace. Whatever it took, if she had to hire tutors, if she had to work with a child, she would lose sleep over it. The children saw, felt, understood that the only thing that bothered their mother, the only thing that was important to her was they should study Torah. And therefore, they, that's what they did. If in your house they see money, they see money. If they see health, they see health. If they see study, they see study. In other words, the parents are the ones that will help their children, your children in school. 
You, you very much want your children to study. Very important to you, your children should study. Child comes home and says, I have a, okay, this is, should be in the past, but get ready for next year. Parent sees that the child comes home, oh, I have this English, it's very hard. So if the parent says, you know, I'd love to help you, but I got to watch the ball game. And, uh, or eh, don't study tonight, come with me to the ball game. So w- w- what do you want the child to think? The child needs help studying, and you're not interested, and you're not helping, and you're sitting watching uh, the ball game or whatever else you're doing, or you're on your computer. But if the parent stops whatever they're doing and says, oh, this English is a problem, okay, tell you what, let's, let's work on it. Now, we're all busy sometimes, and I do this with my children. I'll say, right now I'm very busy, but at 8 o'clock, I have a window of time. Let's do it then. So now your child sees. They understand you're busy. They understand you have work to do. They understand you have things you want to do, place you have to go. But you just told your child that I'm ready, willing, hopefully able. If not able, you got to hire somebody. And we're going to figure this out because I want it to be important to you. If you want it to be important to the child, you're going to have to show the child it's important to you. If it's not important to you, the child, it's not happening. I mean, I guess there could be exceptions, but for the most part, it's not happening. Okay. That's just a nice lesson to help us end the school year, get ready for the next year, because it never ends. All right, which I tell you, nice vacation, nice break. Summer, which I tell you is really way too long Um, as far as school goes. um, We actually have a, a day camp in school. We'll do a little extra study. The kids will play. Uh, we have a week off. So now I actually have a week to uh, to just recalibrate. Of course, I have my other jobs that I do. But it's uh, I have a couple days just to relax, focus, do some things I wanted to do, catch up on some stuff. But this is what we do, right? We're parents. We take care of our children. We love our children. We want our children to be successful. And therefore, we have to show them how important it is to us that they succeed. And we show that by helping instead of just giving long-winded speeches. That was about speeches later. Okay. So in this week's Torah portion, this week's Torah portion is called Shlach. Shlach means descend. So the, the Jewish people have left Mount Sinai. They are getting ready to head towards the land of Israel, and all of a sudden, somebody pops up and says, Hey, we're going to attack this whole country we don't even know what the country looks like. God's been telling us it's an amazing land, comfortable, food, honey, milk, fruits, amazing. We don't know anything about it. We're going to want to go attack. We don't know left from right, where cities are, where fortresses are. We got to have spies. Every, every nation that goes and attacks another country always has spies. I mean, everybody has spies. Now, it's a little funny, right? We, we just defeated Egypt. We defeated Egypt? What exactly did we do? We sat back and watched God bring the ten plagues. We walked into the Red Sea where God split the sea for us and he uh, convinced the Egyptian army to follow us and we got out and then he brought the waters crashing down on top of them. So I'm not exactly sure what we did in that uh, destruction of Egypt. why, Why would we think that going into the land of Israel is going to be any different. God's going to lead the way. 
we're going to march along and we'll probably schmooze uh, and maybe we'll have lunch, we'll study, and uh, while we're doing all that, uh, God will just wipe out all those nations in Canaan. Like, why did we think we need spies? We didn't need spies till now. Now, clearly, there are people that understood or felt that, yes, till now everything was miraculous. No guarantee that God will continue to allow us to lead this miraculous life. If God chooses that we have to be more normal, so then we do need to have some of this information. So at least you could a, a little bit, right? Maybe there's two sides to the coin. They should have been thinking God's taking care. Maybe they're worried that there could be not the same, uh, pro- I don't want to say the same protection, but just not being led the same way, right? We're going into a country, we'll be our own nation. Maybe we have to live a little more normal. We won't have a automatic food supply and an automatic water supply and the clouds that protect us. Maybe. Okay. So they go, they go to Moses. Now, Moses has a problem. A very fascinating problem. What's the problem? The people say, God said, it's a land flowing, milk and honey. We don't know anything about the land. We need to check it out. If Moses were to say, come on, God already told you it's great. What are you questioning God for? As soon as Moses says that, everybody says, oh, he doesn't want to let us check it out. I wonder what he's hiding. Maybe we have what to worry about. So Moses knew that's a problem. So now what Moses is going to say, no problem, but sending spies means you're not trusting God. That's a bigger problem. Some answer that Moses felt as follows. It's like uh, you want to buy something. You want to go buy a car. And it's normal to get a car checked out. But there's a difference in attitude between if you go to the guy and say, can I check out the car? Well, you know, uh, I have so many people looking at the car. I don't know if I want to let you go with it. I have a 45-minute window you could bring it to somebody, and I'd rather you bring it to my guy. You're a little nervous because why is the guy afraid to let you check it out? But if the guy who you're buying the car from, whatever you say, you need it for a day, no problem. You want to bring it to your mechanic, go right ahead. If everything you ask for, the person you're buying it from has no qualms, you can assume, okay, you could be taken, but you can assume that probably the car is in good condition. Because he's not nervous about you checking it out. He has nothing to hide. So Moses felt, if I go ahead and I allow the Jewish people to create the spies, ask for spies, I'm I'm okay with the spies, then hopefully they'll say, you know what, Moses, the fact that you're letting us have spies, we change our mind. We don't need it. We're sure everything is fine and dandy. Okay. So what happens? What happens is, so Moses chooses 12 spies, one per tribe. And God told Moses, he says, look, this is a bad idea. I don't suggest you doing this. You want it? I'm going to let. But I'm going to make this test so hard that uh, you're going to pay, or the Jewish people is going to pay for asking. So there's 12 spies. Two of them will be fine. One is Joshua, one is Kalev. Interesting, they had different personalities. Somebody was telling me this morning, Joshua is the fighter. 
He's not listening to these other spies. He's saying Israel's great. He doesn't care that they want to slander Israel. He's going to fight with him. Kalev, on the other hand, is the quiet guy. He pretends to be buddy-buddy with the 10 spies that want to slander, but really, really, he's the inside guy who's going to turn around and say, no, really, it's a great place. Moses actually has to pray for Joshua because Joshua can get himself killed because he's fighting with these guys. So he, Moses has to actually add a letter to his name that God should protect Joshua. Kalev, he wasn't as, wasn't as worried or concerned because Kalev is that guy who can take care of himself. He's this, I don't want to say he's the street smart guy, but he knows how to deal with them, and it's his personality is not to be the fighter. So what's interesting is, um, so these they, they go into the land of Israel. Now, this is a fascinating concept. I just told my class today, on our last day, something came up in class. I can't remember what it was. But this concept of you see what you want to see. You believe what you want to believe. And the truth is you hear what you want to hear, right? Your child comes home and uh, where were you? What do you mean? Remember I asked you if I could go to play by so-and-so? I didn't say you go play. Yeah, yeah, remember? I asked you and you said, yeah. And the parent says, that's what you asked me? I didn't even hear you, right? Was, we hear what we want to hear. We, we, we say what we want to say. We see what we want to see. Everyone's picture could be different, right? If I'm a believer, if I believe in God, and I look at something, I see one picture. If I don't believe in God, I see the same story. I got my own interpretation. Our brains are wired that we all get to interpret life generally, that we're pretty comfortable. In other words, I'm a good guy. Everybody thinks they're good. So how could it be that I think I'm good and you think you're good and, we're, and we seem to be heading in opposite directions? Because that's how our brains are wired for the most part. Some people are more honest. They see they do something wrong. They feel bad about it. But for most people, the picture I paint is the picture I want to see. And that's really what happens with the spies. It's really quite amazing. So the spies are going through the lens. You have to imagine. Let's draw, let me draw a picture for you. Okay, we'll draw a picture. So you have these 12 Jews, dressed like Jews, speaking Jewish, whatever language they spoke. They're not professional spies, right? They, they have to stick out like a sore thumb. Right? When they're walking through the streets in the land of Israel, you got to be a fool to not realize that these are Jews because they don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They probably don't speak your language. You know, how hard is it to figure out that these foreigners, you know, that's like the joke. Um, um, it must have been one of these cartoons where, where you see some tourists in New York City and they have bags of stuff, of tourist stuff. You know, the T-shirts and the and the flags and the the tchotchkes and all these little things, like bags of these things. And one says to the other, don't look up at the skyscrapers. They'll think you're a tourist. Right? In other words, we all imagine that uh, what, I'm, what I'm actually doing, no one will notice. <laughs> Just because I, I look like me and I'm walking through, and you won't figure out I'm a spy? No, no, no one will figure it out. Right? We all see what we want to see. Anyways, so God has to make sure to protect it. 
So one of the things that God did, one of the things, was um, a lot of people were dying. Whether there were great people died, so there were big funerals, whether every city they went into, somebody important died. There were a lot, a lot of funerals. So now, you are the spies, and you see funerals. There are two ways to look at this picture. One way is to say, wow, God doesn't want anybody to notice that I'm a spy. He has them so preoccupied with people dying, um, they leave us alone. Amazing. Or, or, you could say, what kind of crazy country is this? Everybody's dying. What's everybody dying for? Crazy place to live. We don't want to live in Israel. Everybody dies. Same story. How did your brain interpret what you saw? I, I don't want to say positive or negative. You could say it that way also. If I'm a positive person, I have one way of looking at things. If I'm a negative person, I have another way of looking at things. So either that's true, right? But, but what color are my glasses that I'm using to look at the picture? And that's why sometimes when we see a picture, we go to an outsider, somebody who has no, no skin in the game. It, uh, he can look at the picture from the outside. When people go to their rabbis to ask them questions, part of the beauty of that is that the rabbi, it, 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 he has nothing to gain or lose by the story you're telling him. So he, he can look at it and tell you that, you know, what you're doing makes sense, doesn't make sense, this is the way to go, because he can look at it um, as an outsider, and you're in the picture, you can't look at the picture properly. Um, so I just see, I left myself a note over here. When we talk about, and this for me is a just a personal story, but this is how I relate to this whole concept, maybe it'll just wrap up um, exactly what we're trying to talk about. So as I told you, everybody sees what they want to see. I'll tell you my own personal story. I probably said it a dozen times, but it's well worth repeating. So when I was in high school, I had a best friend. His name was David. A great guy. We were good friends, always together. I used to eat at his house. I loved eating at his house. His house, I think he had, there were a total of 13 children. Nobody, um, maybe one was married. I don't remember. But I used to love going there. The mother made the worst potato kugel ever. Her food was terrible, not edible. I had to drink the whole time I was eating. But the atmosphere, I loved it. It was loud. It was happy. They were very poor. I, there must have been six or seven kids sleeping in a bedroom. But they were just the happiest, friendliest, nicest family. I loved them. And this was my friend. That happened to be this friend um, was not the most social of all people. He actually had a problem making other friends, but we were best friends. Anyways, one day we're going up the staircase. In this building, there were staircases on opposite ends and then a long hallway with classrooms or bedrooms on either side. So when you went up the staircase and you you had to get to the hallway, there were like these little alcoves where you could like fit back and there was rooms on the corners so a different friend of mine was hiding behind this alcove, and he hated my friend. And so my friend, we turn the corner. He yells at the guy's name. He has a cup of water, and he throws it at him. Okay, ha-ha, very funny. My friend didn't take it, ha-ha, very funny. My friend clobbered him, like seven stitches over his eye. Clobbered him. The guy was, like, on the floor. And I'm yelling at the guy on the floor that it was his fault, and he was wrong, and and it's his fault, and then I told my friend to run for his life because this guy was going to get up and kill him. 
Three days later, when the instigator shows up, he comes to me and he says, I, I know you and David are best friends. I, I know. But how could you say that it was my fault? I said, tell you the truth. It wasn't really your fault. But I knew you were going to beat up David and I had to protect him. So I yelled at you and he ran. And he accepted my reasoning. However, as time went on, I realized that wasn't the real reason. The real reason was because David was my friend. My friend can't do anything wrong. Right? He's my friend. My friend can't do anything wrong. My colored glasses said that my friend can do nothing wrong. And that's one of the things we learn in this week's story portion. But the music is already playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all our wonderful sponsors and, and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you, my own production team. We have uh, David and Jenna is behind this week, and she is running my board. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. I'm ready.